Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Hernia U series. Uh, we keep uh, looking for um, searching ideas and way of thinking, different manner of doing surgery, how to how and best at the end, different persons doing surgery and human beings that are behind that and to have their thought, how is their opinion about one topic. And, and it's very interesting. And today we have Ali Shing from UK. He's a great guy, good friend. He's an excellent surgeon. He organized uh, one of the European Hernia Society meeting in Manchester. It was a success, by the way. And I've seen him for a long time talking about one of his favorite topics, that is a sportman hernia. So uh, I think we are going to focus in a little bit in that because it's a very interesting uh, topic. So welcome, Ali. Thank you. Gracias. <laughs> so uh, one of the things that I wonder always is there is a lot of definitions about what is a sportman hernia, groin hernia, more hernia. Uh, uh, so there is people get lost when they they when they type that in PubMed or in Google. You get so many definitions, so many names. It's just the ego of the surgeon looking for the proper names to put on that uh, entity or, or or you think that is different in that sense? It's a very good question. And the lack of true definition, which I tried to do in the 2014 consensus statement, is what creates this chaos in terms of what are we actually treating? And um, what are we actually treating is pain in the inguinal canal. And an individual, maybe elite or amateur, undertakes a lot of physical activity to the degree where they're exercising maybe one, two, three, or more hours per day. Now, if you look at the conjoint tendon, the conjoint tendon has the inguinal ligament going into it. Uh, it's an insertion, the arrow is going downwards. Now, out of the pubic bone where the conjoint tendon goes in, you've got the adductor tendon. The adductor tendon, it has three different uh, muscles, adductor, longus, brevis, and magnus. But if you look at the adductor longus tendon, it's so closely related to the conjoint tendon that arrow is going out, so it's pulling in that direction. Also, from the pubic bone, you've got the rectus abdominis muscle. Yep. And that's the origin, it inserts into the lower costal cartilages. That, again, is pulling out. So now you've got a lot of pressure in this area. But is that a true hernia? Probably not. Yeah, because in, fact, in yeah. fact, that's that's what I was going to tell you, because sometimes it's a weakness in that area due to the different forces, right? Absolutely. Now, when, you, when I have a, an athlete present to me, I cannot say, uh, none of them can I say 100% it is due to failure of the inguinal canal, or is it due to failure of the rectus origin or the origin of the adductor tendon? It is usually a combination of the three. Therefore, what we, in a consensus statement in 2014, and this was duplicated or, or basically affirmed in the Doha statement in 2015, is that all of these entities need to be examined. Doha went a bit further and said there were four definitions, inguinal-related pain, psoas-related pain, um, rectus-associated uh, pain, and even hip-associated pain. So they went a bit further to describe what we're dealing with. And us, as general surgeons, we're dealing with inguinal-related pain. So what do we have? If we think there's an adductor problem, we need physiotherapy. If we think there's a rectus problem, we need physiotherapy. We need to concentrate on core exercises. We need to concentrate on pelvic stability exercises. We need to concentrate on adductor strengthening exercises. And if you undertake these in a very measured way with a qualified chartered physiotherapist, then I think you can avoid surgery in maybe 60 to 80% of patients. 
So when do you decide to take them to surgery? Because if you tell me that most of the treatment is going to be physiotherapist, then what do we do? Well, the physiotherapists then bring them back to you. They, they adapt as it good. There's mild tenderness at the origin. Um, the, there is no real pain on sit-ups, but they still have pain on coughing and sneezing. So what I rely on is a dynamic ultrasound. The dynamic ultrasound is the last piece of the jigsaw, as well as the clinical findings. And what the dynamic ultrasound does, it tells you if there is any weakness in the inguinal canal. And what we're looking for, possibly a true hernia, a small hernia, possibly a lipoma of the cord, uh, possibly pain or coughing, or a what's called a posterior wall weakness. Now, is a posterior wall weakness a defined pathology? If I have 100 people, same age, came to me, uh, I think 95 of them would have a posterior wall weakness, an ultrasound. But only 10% of them would actually have pain. And of those 10%, probably about 3% would need an operation to repair or reinforce the posterior wall. Yeah, but what those cases in which you'll find a weakness of the abdominal wall, how do you repair it? Yeah. Because uh, you supposedly you need a strong fixation to create a new wall. While if you leave a mesh there without fixation, it will move at the same time without weakness. So it will work. Yeah. Well, to test this theory, we undertook a randomized control trial, the only randomized control trial that was done. And that was published in the British Journal of Surgery. So what we looked at, the surgeons that undertook the uh, sportsman's score, mainly undertook the TEP repair, the totally extraversive repair. And they also were proficient in what's called minimal repair. Um, and that is just a 2-0 prolate suture of the back wall to reinforce it and maybe tighten the conjoint tendon as well. So what we need to look at is ways to, to strengthen the posterior wall. So you can either tighten the conjoint tendon, do a suture of the posterior wall, or when you undertake it endoscopically, what I found in undertaking hundreds of those patients' operations is that they'll invariably have a lipoma of the cord. Um, they'll have little tears along the pubic bone. Uh, they may also have a small direct defect, and they may also have a little bit of a cord defect. The differences between all of these patients is vast, but once you've undertaken the extraperitoneal, once you've undertaken the extraperitoneal section, read the entire inguinal canal, what you should be able to do is reinforce that entire area with a nice piece of mesh. You can use 15 by 10 or 15 by 12, but you must cover the indirect and direct uh, rings and also over the obturator fascia. And you find these patients, they improve. And um, with no fixation, fixation no at fixation, all? No fixation, no. And you think that the way to go is minimal invasive? In those I cases. think so, yeah. I think so, because you have the dual advantage of doing bilateral repair. Quicker recovery, smaller incisions, exactly mirrors uh, the difference between open repair and laparoscopic repair. So that's what you would do. Now, if I have a younger patient and I know they're going to grow, maybe I'd offer them the minimal repairs, just a suture repair. But there are some advocates of dividing the genital branch of the genital femoral nerve. I don't think that's necessary. All my colleagues that I know do not undertake uh, this nerve division. And if you look at the European Hernia Society guidelines, they feel the nerves should be identified and preserved. If you have a healthy nerve, why are you going to divide it? The advocates of dividing the nerve say that subjectively it's under pressure. But how can you test that? No one's ever tested this. People are just dividing the nerve. You get a little bit of numbness. Well, how will that numbness affect an elite athlete? Well, maybe he'll have less pain and start playing. 
But I've seen a number of patients uh, that have undergone that repair with the division of the nerve, and I've had to reoperate on them. Do you think that the MRI is necessary? Because yeah. you talk about dynamic ultrasound, but yeah. how important it is to have a uh, MRI? Because you need to know if you've got a problem with the rectus abdominis and origin and also the adductor origin. Now, interestingly, I'm not here to plug my own work, but I've recently had a paper published in Hernia called the Sports Score. And that's a scoring system. And there's an app called the Sports Score Calculator. And you have to put four or up to four for each finding. So it's MRI. Uh, ultrasound and clinical findings and it gives you a score and what our study has shown looking at almost 190 patients is over three years follow-up is that if the score is one or more then surgery should be considered if the score is zero or less it can be a minus score then physiotherapy should be considered So those listening to us, you see that we have to go for that paper. I think it's, it, it will be very interesting uh, to have this yeah. this uh, this idea of, of this called, specification. It's called the SPORT score, S-P-O-R-T. And let's go to another interesting topic. You know the ego of surgeons. Yes. And you know the ego of professional athletes. Yes. It's, it's, it's the, like a battle of two egos. One who wants to operate or whatever, and the other one who wants the best. So how do you deal with psychological, with this sport, professional? Well, first of all, um, these people are finely tuned athletes. They have great physique. They've got very good core. They're in excellent physical shape. Understandably so, because they're elite athletes. But what you've got to remember, they come with some of the best sports physicians and best sports physiotherapists the world has to offer. So these guys have already done the hard work. They've already got them physically so strong that by the time they come and see you, they've ruled out a rectus injury, they've ruled out an adductor injury, and they feel it's just a posterior wall weakness. So the decision to operate on them is actually very easy. However, I am very careful. I see a lot of these patients. I don't operate on all of them. I operate on the ones that I think I can get better. With the caveat, there is a small chance you may not get better because you've got two or three pathologies. Thankfully, I've got a very good success rate, but I still am selective. If they wish to go and see another colleague of mine, I say by all means, and I'll send them to another colleague. But yeah, generally, they're in pain. They're in difficulty. They feel it's uh, a quick operation to get over, get back to playing. More importantly, a lot of them can actually carry on playing with the injury. Well, in Manchester, there is two famous uh, soccer team, right? Absolutely, I don't know. <laughs> and I'm sure you have been operating some of them. I couldn't say. Well, but no, but what I mean is that you think the impact of those who train professional athletes in that entity is important? That's what I mean. That was one. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you see, the other thing is, is that a lot of international players play in my country uh, and a lot of um, British players play overseas. And sometimes when a player gets so big, there is player power. So they may never come and see you, even though you're at their doorstep and say, look, I heard so-and-so in Seville is very good. I'm going to go and see him, which is absolutely fine. Invariably, I will know that surgeon. And I, I you know, say, absolutely fine. Go and see who you wish. It's, it's about doing, for me, the reason I think that they come to me is because I've put the groundwork in, in terms of the scientific evidence to undertake this sort of operating. Um, I've published my work. Um, I've published my failures and I've tried to improve what 
I think is the best recommended treatment for these patients. I'm not going to get it right every time, but with my experience, I'm hoping I won't get it wrong many times. But it, it is an evolving science. Uh, and I think we just have to carry on collaborating, working with colleagues, working in a team, and trying to find out what is the best fit for these patients. So I work in a multidisciplinary team. That's very important. I, I, think, I think it's very important. I work with a hip surgeon. I work with a musculoskeletal radiologist. It's, not, it's slightly different from the radiologist that most general surgeons use. And I work with a sports physician and I work with a few elite physiotherapists. We all see elite athletes together. So it's a multidisciplinary yeah. indication for surgery or for whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't see these patients in isolation. And that, I mean, it's very attractive for a club to come or any, actually, any individual, even an amateur athlete, to come to our clinic because that way they don't have to go to see another person, another person, and later on you find it's about six, seven weeks' time and they're still looking for the answer. But we, after an hour's assessment and looking at all their scans, we can give them an answer. So thank you, Ali. Thank it's you. been a pleasure to talk to you and to chat with you and to analyze all this program. I think it's going to be useful for those who are listening to this podcast. Thank you very much, Muchas Ali. Muchas gracias. Thank you. <laughs>